It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 196, King Josiah and the Zeal of the Lord. Matthew 12, 29. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. God is very serious about tearing down demonic worship strongholds, and God seems to have set a maximum amount of time before they have judged. And I don't totally understand it, and I don't think anyone has figured this out yet, but there's something to God's timing and the tearing down of strongholds. In fact, globally at this time in our story, there must be angels of judgment preparing to do battle to tear down principalities, whether they be worship centers or evil nation states ruled by the prince of Assyria. In this generation, too many prophecies have spoken about the strongholds coming down. Now is the time, after years of judgment prophecies and waiting, this is the season demonic strongholds are being torn down. The Assyrians decimated the land of northern Israel, but it appears they failed to completely tear down the altars to the golden calf. Enter King Josiah, the destroyer of strongholds. Second Kings 22, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, daughter of Adiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Well, he did what? He followed the ways of father King David? These are enormous shoes to fill. He was a King David. That's the compliment of compliments in the book of Kings and Chronicles. What a statement. And it's amazing to see what it takes to be a King David. It takes a Holy Spirit-infused fire-lighting zeal to do this. King Josiah's life can be divided into parts. The first years of his kingship were good by most standards. Um, And he becomes king at eight, and at around the age of 16... God starts to call him. Maybe even he got saved around that time frame. But we don't hear too much until the the 18th year of his reign, when he rules as a righteous king up until then. But it's that 18th year that changes everything for him. And by the world's standards, he's a good king, and he does good things until that 18th year. He worships God, but he doesn't have a lot of context except oral history based down from his people. The the thing is that the libraries of Solomon were destroyed. The book of the law was no more. He literally doesn't have the books of Moses to work with. Now, there's some debate. The more I study on this, and it sounds like he's got the Bible as we know it. Before I had said Manasseh destroyed everything and the Bibles and such, 
Um, it appears that maybe it's just the book of Deuteronomy. So there's different theories out there of what exactly was lost. I'm going with the one that says it's all gone. Um, it could be just the book of Deuteronomy, or maybe just the book of Moses, all, all of Moses' first five books. Um, or if Moses wrote those first five books, there was debate there too. But um, but he doesn't have, he's missing some the full context of Scripture, put it that way, up to this age. And he was a good secular or religious king up to this point. He, he fit both accounts. Things he has a good reputation and he seems to have no significant encounter though God is calling him that we know of nothing just oral wisdom that's passed down and what little of uh, fractions of the scrolls maybe of the prophets that he already has uh, parts of the books of Moses so he's doing the best he can and in this generation there's that generational rising up of prophets um, they're speaking the Word of God Though many were killed off in the previous generation, a new generation is rising up. And more context, I mean, Josephus stated that Manasseh killed a prophet a day in Jerusalem. <laughs> so a new generation is rising up. It seems persecution causes a great number of prophets to rise up. There's a rising of faith in a nation on fire compared to the generation of devils that dominated in the days of Manasseh and Ammon. An Elijah generation was on the rise even after the death of Ahab. We had numerous prophets coming. Nahum, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. On a personal level, I have to believe Josiah is one of those guys that was getting eaten up from the inside by something he didn't understand. His perfect little life, his kingdom, is getting rattled to the core. No national invasion, no real hardship. There's just something going on in his life. He knows something's off. He's missing something. There's a void in his life. He's being rattled or disturbed and burned inside by something he didn't know or understand. But daily he was reminded. It's like an inner conviction, but it's not a sin. It's a conviction that there's something wrong, something missing. Something was missing. Something wasn't right in him and his kingdom. And it was well known the troubles of Manasseh and how the Bible as we know it was burned or or even parts of it, it was it was missing. Josiah knew something was off, and he was getting very uncomfortable in his contentment. Ever felt that way? Something like this is going on in his heart. The king is burning inside, and the Holy Spirit is working him into a feverish pitch of uncomfortability. And we have to understand this because when a copy of the Bible, or maybe it's just that book of Deuteronomy, is discovered or rediscovered, his reaction is astounding. 2 Kings 22.3 In the 18th year of the king, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and the son of Meselaham, to the temple of the Lord. He said, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought in the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers had collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. 
Okay, so for a bit of background, if you're just listening to this podcast, um, if someone didn't listen previously about Manasseh and Ammon, both of these previous kings um, of Judah had, had turned Jerusalem into a hedonistic playground, committing horrific sins in the name of their idol worship. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to the fire, to Molech, killed off the prophets, burned the scrolls of the prophets and kings of the law, desiring to rewrite their history. They defiled the temple of God, and now Josiah wants to clean it up. And when they go to clean up the temple, something amazing happens. 2 Kings 22.8 Halakiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple the Lord and entrusted to the workers and supervisors of the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Helkiah, the priest, had been given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Helkiah, the priest, Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shephon the secretary, and Asahiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire the Lord for me and for the people and all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. A lot of scholars point to this being a lost copy of the scroll of Deuteronomy. Understanding context and history causes me to favor the whole thing being lost because of the volume of darkness and amazing repentance and action of this godly king. Uh, but it could be any of these things. It, this reminds me of a historical account. Um, it reminded me of a, a story I read about Brother Yun in modern China. The account from his book, Heavenly Man, had him fasting and praying just to have a Bible. I think he fasted 30 days uh, for God to provide him a Bible. And he did, uh, because the Bible was outlawed in communist China only 50 years ago. In our Western, happy, democratic world, we fail to see the suffering in this world and understand how possible the time of Manasseh was. And for more on Brother Yun's remarkable life and the birth of the underground church in China, check out the book, Heavenly Man. The contents are mind-blowing. 2 Kings 22.14, Helkiah the priest, Ahiakim, Akbor, Shephon, Asahiah, went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tekvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book of the kings of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anchor by all the idols they have made by their own hands. My anger will burn against this place and will not be clenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you read. Because your heart was responsive and you, you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that you will become a curse and be laid waste. Because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place.
So they took her answer back to the king. And this is where we see what this Josiah is made of. Most of the great reformers in history have a turning point. This is Josiah's turning point. Okay, so here's the king receiving these words. And here's his options. He could say, awesome, I have exited my life and I will find exit in my life without seeing this disaster. He could say it like Hezekiah did. Or he could take this word as motivation. And he could do something extra like clean up the land or fight wars, conduct industry. Well, he definitely goes with the second option, but in a far greater measure than we can even comprehend. So when Martin Luther put the 95 Thesis on that famous door, he wanted to start a conversation, not a global transformation, a religious civil war, and to think that 30 years war started soon after. If he knew this, he may have reconsidered. But this was beyond his control. To me, it seems like something takes over in Josiah's life. Like the spirit was invited to put him on like a glove, like Gideon. And when he submitted, he was transformed overnight into a fire-breathing reformer. Then he became their religious leader and taught everyone. Then he turned violent, radical destroyer of demonic strongholds and worship centers, including their priest, and notice the extent to his tearing down of strongholds. He actually takes the statues of Asherah poles and grinds them to dust. He desecrates demonic altars and desecrates graves of demonic priests. The guy's intense. Second Kings 23. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in all their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Helkiah, the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry host. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priest appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem who burn incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon, to the constellations, and to all the starry host. He took the Asherah pole from the house of the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord, the quarters where the women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the gateway at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which was on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Tobiah, which was in the valley of Ben-Hamon, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of the official named Nathan-Melech. 
Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. I mean, this guy is intense. He destroys everything related to idol worship. And to think this isn't the exact opposite of what Manasseh did. His prescription to ridding the land of evil was desecration of high places, destruction of objects of worship or adoration. He even killed idol-worshiping priests and went so far as to dig up the bones of their priests and to grind them down and to litter their worship centers with the dust of dead bodies. This guy is intense. 2 Kings 23.12 He pulled down the altars of the kings of Judah and erected at the roof near the upper room of Ahaz. And the altar Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble in the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The one Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians. For Shemosh, the vile god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. So this is where we're going to stop this account um, for this week of the King Josiah. He's a destroyer of strongholds. He gets potentially saved at around 16. And at around 26, something overcomes him, and he becomes the most zealous man on the planet for God in this age. In addition, he even gets the coveted moniker of a man like David. Why? Because he's unbelievably bold, more bold than those before him. His zealousness for God was quite unmatched. And in the next episode, he conducts a military invasion to destroy more strongholds. He becomes an extreme case of by the book, but living by the book, rulership of uh, fulfilling everything there is in the law and the, the judgments to eradicate it. He not only outlawed evil worship, he stamped out the roots of it, desecrated, destroyed, and grinded up bones, scattered, scattering them on idol worshiping sites. He wholeheartedly wanted to eradicate evil. And in an age of kings and prophets, this was heralded. But here's my question. What would, I mean, he, he personifies zealous, the word zealous, because it's an extreme case of bold obedience and just commitment to God. And no matter what anyone thinks, no matter what anyone does, he fulfills it. What would it look like today? In this New Testament age, we don't go around doing this. And, and the reason why we don't is it's, it's around the corner. It's the end of the world. God's going to judge. So, so kings and such, they don't need to go destroying churches you know, it, it, that, are, that are not Christian. It, it doesn't make sense. Um, in this New Testament age, that's the end of the age, um, Revelation. It's not the destruction of churches, it's the, the judgment of the planet. Um, but what would it look like today? What would the word zealous mean today? What would it look like? I mean, Billy Graham just turned 100 years old. Would it look like this? That he's still worshiping Jesus at 100 years old? What would it look like? You know, go around destroying churches like this, and or, you know, non-Christian churches. Uh, what would it look like today? I think we have to look, I mean, this is a the picture of Old Testament times, an extreme case, but 
if we want to look at what zealousness is in this New Testament age, we look at Jesus and his disciples. They preached his word. They walked with him. They disowned him. But they encountered him after his resurrection. And at this stage, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did they do? They went into all the earth and preached the gospel. It's the Great Commission. <laughs> the Great Commission is a zealousness for God. The New Testament is a zealousness for God is living it out and declaring the word of God in all areas of your life. To have a heart like David is to live a life dependent on him, worshiping him, and living a life of obedience. To have a zealousness for God like Josiah is to be wildly obedient and reactive to the move of the Spirit and work of God around you. In particular, it's to radically follow every word and command of God and to be fearless to tradition or happen chance around you. To be insensitive to culture and norms and styles but to be wildly focused on the only one that matters. It's culturally irrelevant, yet consistent with the deliverance power of God and full of the Holy Spirit. This is a spirit that Josiah displayed. May we understand true zeal and display it in wisdom and correct timing to fulfill all that God has for us. It's a spiritual boost that bypasses levels and promotions and skips over and eliminates generations of wasteful thinking. It's the bold ability to tear down strongholds. Zeal for God eliminates strongholds. And may God give this gift to those who are willing to take on his radical assignments. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.